The Roman Emperor Julian, Julian the Apostate, did not like Christians because they were winning people away from these Roman pagan practices, right? The Roman way was you worshiped all these gods, this pantheon of gods and whatever, and you did all this stuff. And these Christians were winning lots of converts. Lots of people were coming to know Jesus, and he did not like it. And he wrote this at the time. Christianity advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar, and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. He's saying, look, these Christians, they're not just taking care of their people. They're taking care of our people. They're not just showing mercy and compassion towards those that are like them. They're showing mercy and compassion towards everyone. And it was the difference between Christ's followers and everybody else in the world. And it was the thing that drew people It's one of the things that drew so many people to know Jesus was the mercy of these people. As you can tell, we're in for some great teaching on the importance of mercy as we continue in Matthew 5, verses 7 and 8. Here's Pastor David. I'm not talking about public political policy, which seems to be such a big deal to so many people in this divided world right now. And I get that. I get all of that. But listen, let me just, let me just make something really simple for you. This is just a country in the world, okay? This is just a country in the world. There's only one country that God has a specific relationship with, and it's not us. It's Israel. It's the only country that God has specifically, biblically has a relationship with. Every other country is just a country, okay? Maybe it's a good country. Maybe it's a bad country. I don't want to talk about that right now. People have all kinds of opinions, but that's, but that's losing our focus. Because here's the thing. This is not our home. This is not our home. We are aliens and strangers here. Our home is the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us how to live in the kingdom of God. You'll notice he says nothing about how you should vote. You should take this stuff and use it. And, and you know, I think you should vote. And I think you should take this stuff and use it to try to vote well. But he's not talking about that. Because the primary focus is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. Not what's going on here. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Remember there, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that's most of us, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's the thing that you need to understand. As believers, every one of us was in desperate need of mercy. We were separated from God. We were separated from his promises, from his people, from all of that. We were aliens and we were strangers and we needed mercy to know who God was, to accept him, to love him. All of that was a mercy that he gave to us. To have our sins forgiven, to be brought into the family, that's all a mercy that he gave to us. I'm not concerned with what anybody thinks is practical political policy, okay? On either side of any political debate. Don't want to hear about it. Don't email me. That's not what we're concerned with today. I don't care who's correct or who's right politically about what we should do, what our government should do. I'm talking to you and me as believers. I'm talking to the church as believers. 
I'm concerned that our words are seasoned with salt, as we studied a couple weeks ago, that we're a light to the world, that whatever our political positions uh, we want to have little Twitter fights about, the thing that people remember about our words and our actions and our tweets is that we're merciful, is that we love and care for people, is that our hearts go out to people, whoever they are, at any time. When we see suffering, when we see people suffering, living in poverty, living in filth, struggling with alcohol or drug addiction, homeless, maybe they're living outside of God's plan for sexuality and in a bad place, maybe they're struggling with their finances or with their relationships, their family life. Our first reaction towards those who are hurting, towards those who are struggling, should be mercy. Should be mercy and love. I know you all could tell them exactly what they needed to fix to live the right life. I know. We're all, we all know that, right? They could do this, they could do that, and they wouldn't struggle with these things anymore. If they were just more like us, they'd be better, right? Just to the things that we, we think they should do, they'd be better, right? But you're missing where your own righteousness comes from. It doesn't come from you. It comes from Jesus Christ having to die for you because of our hearts. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Don't you know who we are? We're saved because God had mercy on our pitiful lives that we have lived with our broken, twisted hearts. We are not righteous in ourselves. We are not better than anybody else. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So if you were thinking you were the exception, you're wrong. <laughs> you're not righteous. I'm not righteous. We're only righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ through his resurrection. His death and resurrection has given us the power to be righteous, to be made right, because he's righteous and because we can look to his righteousness, period. That's it. We're in need of mercy. So I'm not concerned with our politics, with all these things that we want to fight about today. And if that's all we think about anymore when it comes to real human issues that affect real human beings, whatever they are, okay? And there's a million of them. Just go on Twitter if you don't know. Go on Facebook, you can see all of it. If that's all we can think about and talk about when we're dealing with those, those things, when we're dealing with people in need, people made in the image and likeness of God, then we've elevated religion and sacrifice over mercy. Look, you need to understand something. There are Christians on every side of the political spectrum. In this room, there are Christians on every side of the political spectrum that think that the government ought to do fill in the blank. Based on, and most of them would base it on things they found in the Bible. Great. Have those debates. I don't care. It's good to, to have fruitful debate about how we should treat people and so on or what the government should do. But remember, we as a church are not the government. We are not about political power. When the church had political power, when it went from, from a group of people showing mercy, talking about Jesus Christ, not, not particularly concerned with power or with becoming powerful or with having, being able to exert political pressure or being able to do any of those things, but, but were primarily concerned about the people in their own neighborhoods and their own cities and those in other cities and neighborhoods where they would go out to, when they were concerned about that, the gospel thrived. Not because they had power, but because they didn't. 
Not because they had power, but because they were persecuted. Not because they had power, because those with power looked on them with disdain and they kept doing their thing and saw persecution as a blessing. And it drew people to Jesus Christ and it changed the world. And we've gone such a different way now. Such a different way. I see way more. And I'm not talking about people in this church. I'm just talking about in the world what I see. You know, I do a decent amount of reading internet, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, to, you know, looking at what's happening. And what I see in the Christian world is lots of Christians, and particularly a number of leaders of Christian churches, have jumped into very, very government-based or political debates, either on kind of the social gospel side or kind of on the super conservative side or whatever. And, and we're trying to make the gospel about... What happens? And the problem with that is, is when we make the gospel what the government does, you got to understand something. The government is not holy or right or just. It's not. I know that some people think this is a Christian nation. I'm going to help you really quick. Never has been, never will be. Sorry. It wasn't. It's not. If you've been told that, it's propaganda. We're not a Christian nation. There are Christian people here. There are ideals that were based on Judeo-Christian ethics that are strong within this country, and those things are good and great. But this is not a Christian nation. There's no such thing. You won't find it. You can look through here, and you won't find God anywhere talk about a Christian nation. I told you, there's only one nation that God's got a relationship with. Not us, okay? And we're not trying to make one. That's the other thing. Some of you might be like, well, hang on a second. We're not trying to make a Christian nation. We're not trying to make a theocracy. We're not trying to do any of that. You know what we're trying to do? You know what I'm trying to do? You know why I'm here? You know why I do the things that I do? So that you will be saved. So that you will go to your neighbors and they will be saved. So that they will go to their neighbors and they will be saved. You want a Christian nation? Let's get everybody in the nation to become a Christian. Then it will by default be one. But when we get so worked up in these other things, here's what happens. People look at Christians and they go, they're not merciful. That's what happens. Like it, don't like it, but for us as believers, we're connected to the church at large, the whole church, and particularly we, as a, as a people, are connected to the church in the United States. And when people, especially young people, are looking at the church in the United States right now, what they're saying is the church seems to care more about their political influence and power than they do about being merciful. The church seems to care more about being right about these things over here than they care about caring for the soul and the well-being of their neighbor. That's what's happening. And that may make you upset, and you might say, no, no, no. And you might be thinking right now, no, there's only one political way, and there's political, politic, 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 politic. That might be you. I don't know. There are people like that. Get over it. Get over it. Our first duty is to the kingdom of God. And what Jesus says is we've got to show mercy. We've got to show mercy. I'm not talking about craziness, okay? I'm not saying no one who commits a crime should be in trouble anymore. And we should do this or we should. I'm not saying any of that. you got to be wise, okay? I'm talking about your heart. What's the first? I told you at the beginning where my heart has been in the past. I see somebody who is in need and my reaction is either superiority or it's their fault or whatever. Maybe it is their fault. Does that mean I shouldn't be merciful? What should be the first thing I think? Oh, God, help this person. Help me to help this person. 
How can I be your hands and feet in this situation? Not, well, they probably just need to get a job. It's not mercy. It's not drawing anybody to Jesus. It's not drawing anybody to Jesus when we're not merciful. I promise you this. If we have a revival, and, and listen to me carefully, it will not be because Christians came up with the best political policies. Like, oh my gosh, that's a great policy. The way they view capitalism and socialism and this and that or whatever the crud people are talking about. That's really, yeah, I think I should follow Jesus because of that. That's a good economic plan. It's not going to drive people to Jesus. You know what's going to drive people to Jesus? You being different than the world. You not having power. You dealing with persecution. You dealing with difficulties. And you showing that you keep saying, yes, I will to Jesus. And that you keep showing mercy to your neighbor. That's it. You want a pure heart? You want a pure heart? You better ask for it. You want a pure heart? You better stop thinking it's about checklists and sacrifices. It's mercy, not sacrifice. We need to be purity. We talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness last time. That's connected to this purity and heart thing. Our hearts are not pure if our first reaction to those in need is not mercy. Don't, we don't want to be like the wicked servant who owed his master a billion dollars. And his master says, you know what? I'm going to let this go. And he's so grateful that the first thing he does is goes to his buddy who owes him a hundred bucks and says, give me my money and chokes him out and throws him in debtor's prison to get his money. You've shown me all this mercy, but I'll show none of it here. Jesus is very clear about something. Very, very clear. You want to obtain mercy? Be merciful. You want forgiveness? Forgive. It's not, an, it's not a maybe thing. It's not an option thing. You're to be merciful. I'm going to read a passage that I think if you're a believer and you can read this passage and not struggle and not have it push up against you, you're either really, really far along in your holiness or you're missing something. It's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Jesus is going to judge. He's going to judge the nations. It says this, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come. You blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? 
Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is very serious. Jesus is not looking at our religious piety. These other people called him Lord too. Lord, when did we not see you do this? They both called him Lord, right? But he didn't care about the religious piety. He wanted to know whether they were merciful. Those who were merciful obtained mercy. Those who were not did not. Jesus is not looking on whether you make yourself look good to others. He looks on whether you are good to others. That will show your heart. That will show your heart. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the next time you see someone in need of mercy, show mercy. Let it, let it be the first thing that happens. When something happens, when you're talking about something or there's a group of people or whatever, and somebody wants to discuss this or some political issue or whatever, all I'm asking is that the first thing you do, say, my first priority is the kingdom of God. What does mercy look like here? For me, for me, I, the government, whatever, whether the government should be merciful, I don't care about that. I want to talk about that this morning. What should you do? How should you feel? What should be your heart? When you see somebody on the street, when you see a homeless person or whatever, what should be your heart? I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to give every homeless person all your money. That may or may not be a wise thing to do. Oftentimes it's not. But what's your heart saying? Are you merciful? When they talk about the homeless problem in Portland, are you merciful? Yeah, it's an issue. There are things that need to be done politically. The government needs to work. But are you merciful? Where's your heart? When you see people who hate Christians, who are far from God, who say horrible things about us and whatever, are you merciful? You recognize yourself in them? Your lostness that was only made righteous by Jesus Christ? Or do you look at other people, judge with no mercy? All, all I want is for us to be, as a church, a church that people look at and say, these people are merciful. These people are merciful because we need a pure heart. We're not merciful. Merciful, Our hearts aren't pure. They just aren't. And if we don't have a pure heart, we won't see God. And frankly, if we're not merciful and don't have a pure heart based on these scriptures, we wouldn't want to see him because he wouldn't have good things to say for us, to us. C.S. Lewis says, It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to. And he's right. Now, I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I told you where I am. I told you my own sin that I've had in my life. I'm working on this. I recognize that culturally, I have become a person who is going to be tempted towards thinking practically, instead of mercifully, so often. And I'm not saying that practical isn't important. I'm just saying which one comes first. And I'm just asking us as a church to start being merciful and to start thinking mercifully and start speaking mercifully if we want people to be drawn to Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus is going is to go after people he wants to go after. The Holy Spirit's going to draw the people he draws. But if you want to be part of it, if we as a church want to be part of it, we better be known for mercy. We better be known for the way we react, and the way we react is in love and compassion and mercy. We better have pure hearts if we want to see God. Now, if you're not a believer, if you don't know him, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this room right now who have incredible mercy for you because Jesus has had mercy for us. And most importantly, God has mercy for you that he's paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and risen him from the dead. So if you don't know Jesus, you want to walk with him, you want to follow him, you can have that mercy. Paul persecuted Christians, consented to their death, put them in prison, and he was given mercy to show the rest of us that even the worst can have the mercy of God. So no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, God has mercy on you. Today could be your day to know him. It's true. No matter what you've done or how bad your past, Jesus died for you. And you can change your life forever by believing in him, confessing your sin, and accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're still not sure or have questions about all this, please call us at 360-885-9000. Don't let another minute go by without knowing the peace and hope you can have in Jesus. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out our next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.